First, I'd like to say something about the, ba- the person who we're honoring tonight. Esther Malkabat Abraham, Grandma Maisie, as I learned, I've learned to call her. There are very few people, there are very few people who, after they die, are able to commemorate their, their relatives are interested in commemorating the date of their death with a shear. There are very few people. But there are a lot fewer people who've managed to commemorate that event with a series of shirim year after year after year. And I feel strongly that it's a schut, it's a merit that is devolved upon me to participate in this annual in this annual shear in her honor. It's both very special and very significant. It says something about the family that she was able to make and the people who think about the day of her of her petira, her death, and try to make it into something special. Um, I'd like to say something about tshuva, about repentance, but everything has been said already. I feel that I would have to trick you by saying something that everybody else has said but making believe that I'm saying it for the first time. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, but I want to say something about about tshuva. And it occurred to me, I was learning one thing or the other. You know, people who are retired, they can do that. They don't have to be focused. They do this, they do that. So that's me. I was learning something. And it occurred to me, it occurred to me that it's kind of, kind of odd that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has set us up for failure. Everybody knows, everybody knows that we have something to do tshuva about. We, each of us, we each of us are, are somewhat less than perfect, somewhat less than the person we might be. Why were we set up in that way? Why is it that that we have kind of strong feelings about things that we shouldn't have such strong feelings about? Like a hamburger. You know, that's the wrong thing. That's not what we are really about. Of course we have to eat, but we don't have to be so serious about it, but I'd be so involved in it. And, uh, and the same thing is true about the relationships. And the same thing is true about, but we're, we're set up. The Rambam says, the Rambam, he asked, his question was, where did idolatry come from? Imagine such a question. Where did idolatry come from? I mean, after all, the people, the people who, uh, Work in contact with the Kodesh Baruch Like if you read the Chumash, is that an idea? Like you could read the Chumash, it's coming up, the parish of Breshit. The people, all the people in the parish of Breshit 
were talking to God all the time. Now, it seems to me that if I was able to talk to God, I mean, of course, I'm not, uh, I don't think I'm worthy, but I just imagine if I was able to talk to God that uh, I would be a good person. I mean, I would be, I would be spectacular. There'd be nobody like me. It's only because God doesn't speak to me and that I'm able to uh, sort of like get away with things that I am the way I am, which is less than, less than perfect. So the Raman said, what happened to all of these wonderful people who spoke to God all the time? Right, they spoke to God. Well, they must have noticed that. It, thank you. We must have noticed that it was it was God that they were talking to, and if it was God that they were talking to, so they wouldn't have like theological problems or ideological problems, or just worn out and tired kind of problems. Like you say, you know, I'm too worn out to do a mitzvah. Like, well, people say that, I imagine. They don't say it to me, but, I mean, uh, I just imagine it. Like, you know, can't do it. Can't do it today. Can't do it now. Can't do it. So what about these people in the Parsha Breshit, the people of the Parsha Breshit, all of whom were talking to God all the time? All the time, I just remind you about Adam Rishon, the first, you know, first man, Adam and Chava. They're walking around in the Garden of Eden, and God talks to them and says, "Where are you?" And they say, "Oh, we're not here. We're gone." You know, like, like it's like a friendly conversation between two people who know each other very well. So the Rambam asks, the Rambam asks, "How did these people?" leave the path of God and become idolaters. How did that happen? How could people who are talking to God become idolaters? It's sort of like the strangest thing you could imagine. Because what is an idolater? The idolater questions whether there is a God, whether God is doing what he's supposed to be doing, right? all, of the, all of these things. And here we have people who are talking to God and at the same time denying God. Can you imagine that? I find that difficult. It doesn't matter. I'll say I find it difficult. You don't have to say anything. I find it difficult. How could you believe? I mean, talk to God and also deny God at the same time, because that's when, when it started. That was the beginning of idolatry. It was there, in the, right after the Garden of Eden. After the, it was the children of Adam HaRishon and Chava who became idolaters. So how did that happen, that they became idolaters? So the Ramam has this kuntz. You know what a kuntz is? Nobody knows. That's good. good. The Ramam had a kuntz. He said, he said the people in the world at that time, the people in the world at that time, they made a mistake. Uh, 
made a mistake. How could they make a mistake? I mean, they're talking to God. I mean, what's there to make a mistake about? The rabbi said they made a mistake. What was the mistake? The mistake was that they looked at the created world and they saw that there was sun and moon and stars. There's all kinds of stuff in the world. And of course, you know, man slash woman, they're curious. They're a curious breed. So they said, like, you know, let's look at this. Like, what's going on with the sun and the moon and the stars? And they, and they said to themselves, these people said, well, maybe, maybe God tricked us and wants us to worship the sun and or the moon and or the stars. Why? Why would they think that? He says, well, you know, the sun, the moon, and the stars had certain powers. They had certain abilities. Let's say the moon, we know, is in charge of the tides, right? So that's in charge of the tides. It's like a power. It's like something special. So they said, according to the Rambach, they came and they said, they said, maybe God wants us to worship the moon because of the moon. Why would he give the moon this power? Why would he give the moon this power to affect the tides? Why would he give the sun the power to make everything grow? And why would he make the stars, I don't know, whatever stars do. I'm not sure. Oh, no, it's yours. Thank you. I'm sorry. So that's what they said. That's what the people said. And since having said that, having said that, they, they went into, it became idolatry. It was they worshiped God, and they worshiped the sun, and they worshiped the moon, and they worshiped, and they, because they said, they said, who knows? Who knows what God really wants us to do? You know, that's always a good question for a rabbi. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe God wants us to do this, and wants us to do that, and wants us to do that. We'll do everything. We'll do everything. We'll worship everything. And the rabbi says, eventually, eventually they realized that, uh, that they needed a place where, where they could get into a building out of the rain, and it was not so easy to, to follow. So all of these things, all of this that I'm telling you is found in the Rambam Hilchot Avodah Zarah Perik Aleph Halacha Aleph. It's all there. I'm telling you this because I'm pretty confident no one will look it up. So if I'm mistaken, no one will call me up and tell me that I've got it wrong. So the question that I had, the question why? well, why did God leave us this trap? Why couldn't God clarify and say, no, no, no sun, no moon, no stars, nothing like that. Only worship God. And eventually, you know, that's what the Torah taught us. That's what the Torah taught us. But still the question exists. Why is it that, that, the, uh, uh, that God made us uh, fall into this trap? or enabled us to fall into this trap, which exists today, up to today. I mean, after all, what do we do on Yom Kippurim? What do we do on Yom Kippurim? You know, Yom Kippurim, we say, Tu Vidu Yim. We say it many times, but we say Tu Vidu Yim. 
One is called the Vidui HaKatsar, the short one, and the other one is called the Vidui HaAroch. This is not, you know, so imaginative in terms of titles, but that's what they're called. So the Vidui HaKatsar, if you remember, Hashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu, Dibarnu, everybody loves that one. And they even have a tune, right? There's like, like you think, you would imagine if you're spilling out your heart to God and talking about how you've sinned and the fact that you need atonement, it would not go with a little ditty. But for us, anything is possible. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we do. The same thing that we do, right? We say that we do, Al right? And then it also has a ditty, right, that goes with it. We love it. We love it. Why do we love it? Why do we love the Vidu Yim that we say at Yom Kippurim? Because we're convinced that they're safe, that they're not going to get us, that we're going to get through this, and we're going to get to that the cake and fruit juice that we're waiting for so vehemently. We want that cake and we want that fruit juice and no fidui is going to stand in our way. <laughs> no, impossible. So, you know, the ten generations from Adam Rishon until Avram Avinu, right in the middle, right in the middle is Hanoch. Chanoch. Anybody here named Chanoch? Okay, I could talk about Chanoch. So Chanoch, Chanoch was one of those generations. And if you look at the sheet, or if you don't look at the sheet, I'll look at the sheet. It says, by Chanoch, I'm sorry. By Chanoch, so Chanoch was one of those people who had a lot of children, which was not uncommon in those days, right? I guess there wasn't much else to do, so they had children. Pasukav Gimel, in this, uh, the first section, Vayihi, well, he, thank you, whoever did that, thank you. <laughs> but, yes, that's why people worship the sun. he called Yemei Chanoch, Chamesh Vishishim Chanoch lived 65 years of Shlosh Melchadah, and 300 years, 365 years. And then you have this pasuk that says something really hard about Hanoch. Now, et, the word et in Hebrew of the Chumash usually means im, ayin, mem. If you don't think that's right, what I just said, you can call me. And God and Hanoch went with God. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I think it's a compliment. 
I think it's positive. Chanoch went with God in whatever he did. And he's gone. He disappeared because God has taken him. Well, if he went with God, he was a good guy. And he wasn't doing idolatry. He wasn't <coughs> worshipping the sun and the moon and the stars. He was with God. That's what it says in the Pasuk. Why did God take him? Taking him is like killing him. He died. He left the world. He wasn't appropriate. He wasn't appropriate for the world. So Rashi says, Rashi says, you see Rashi, it's on the left side of the page, at the top. Pasuk of Dalit. That's what it means. He went with God. He didn't go for this idolatry business. He was really a proper person. So he said, That's what it says in the, uh, in the Rashi. V'kal bidato lashuv now, this is a little tricky, I admit, but I'll tell you what it means. When, when, uh, you know these kind of people? Hanoch, uh, he's the kind of person when he looked at somebody, they, they sort of like went into a state of catatonic withdrawal because he was this righteous person. When a righteous person looks at a person who doesn't see himself as being particularly righteous, so he's weak. He 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 falls apart. I mean, he can't he can't deal with it. So that's what Rashi said. Sadikaya v'kal be'eno lashuv la'arshia, and so it was easy for him. It was easy for him, Chanoch, to kind of point to people and make them bad people. And sort of say, oh, you're not like me. You're not like me. I mean, you can imagine. If anybody went today and met the Chavetz Chaim, it would be difficult. It'd be difficult. It's difficult to meet up with a person who, from my point of view, is kind of perfect. You know, does everything right. That makes me nervous. I like to meet up with people who do things wrong. You know, and then we could talk about it. But to meet up with somebody who never does anything wrong, that's, that's a real problem. And that was Hanoch. So Hanoch, whenever he met up with somebody who was regular, who was regular, somebody who did idolatry and served God. I thought that there was, you could get away with that. So whenever Hanoch met a person like that, uh, he disappeared. That person disappeared. Hanoch was was able to kind of influence the situation such that he would be there, the other person wouldn't. So Rashi says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided that the world imagine Rashi. I mean, Rashi, he has had an effect on a lot of generations of Jewish children and also Jewish adults. So Hanoch, so Rashi, sorry, Rashi says, Rashi says that Hanoch was not fit to exist in the world because he didn't fall away like the others. He didn't become an idolater. He didn't become 
like that kind of a person. He and so God had to take him away. God had to take him away so that he would be able to allow the other people in the world to live their double lives, right? On the one hand, they lived with God, and on the other hand, they lived with, you know, idolatry. Hanoch was the only one who denied that division. So you see again, according to Rashi, I mean, I don't know if this is such a strong proof, but I like it. You see, according to Rashi, you see, according to Rashi, that God sort of defended it. He defended the fact that we had to live in that way, that we had to be both good people and bad people. And so if we come on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, especially Yom Kippur, we talk about ourselves, who we are, what we did, we have to understand that we're doing things, we're very often doing things that were imposed upon us, became necessary the way that God wants the world <coughs> to run. And then the question is, why is that? Why is that? So I'm going to try to answer that question quickly. So we could all go watch a basketball game. Cricket. If you see this, cricket... I was in London, walking on the heath, and there were guys playing cricket. I didn't know it was too much about cricket. It didn't uh, look like it was that exciting to me, but I couldn't get over the fact that they all wore white uniforms, you know, pants. And... So then it started raining. They kept on playing. Never saw such a thing. In America, it rains, you're off the, off the field immediately. So I said to the people I was with, I said, how do they know when to stop playing? <laughs> so they said, so the guy said to me, when the crease goes out of the pants. <laughs> so that sounded very English to me. In a baseball uniform, there are no creases. <laughs> So here we have it. Here we have it. If you look at uh, the last, uh, the last thing on the page, Devarim Paraglamet Aleph starts on Devarim Paraglamet Aleph. I have to go through it. Vayoma Hashem el Moshe Henkivuya Mechalamut Karat Yoshua. This is the transfer of authority from Moshe Rabbeinu to Yoshua Benun. Both of you stand up in the Oed, in the tent of the meeting, and I will command him. And they did it. They came to the to the tent. Vayomer Hashem, listen to this, El Moshe. You're going to die. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you're going to die. Ha'am 
בקרבו, ועזבני ואפרת בריתי אשר קראתי איתו. So God says it plainly. He says, you're going to die, Moshe Rabbeinu, and everybody's going to become uh, an idolater. Everybody's going to be, you know, you won't, you won't be there to control the situation. You won't be there to, to look at everybody and say, what are you doing? Right? It says it in the, in, in the Pasuk. Pasuk Yitzayim. V'chara pi vo bayom ahu v'azavtim v'istarti panai mehem v'aya l'echol tzahur ra'ot rabot v'tzarot v'amar bayom ahu halo al ki ein elokai v'kirbi v'tzahuni ha'raot ha'im. So God says it clearly. He says, you know that, what, that agreement we made in the parish of Kitavo? Now, remember Kitavo? How many weeks ago is that? Nitzavim, Vayelech, just two weeks ago. Not so much. In Kitavo, there's a Brit. A Brit is an agreement. A Brit is an agreement. And in that Brit, it says, you, B'nai Yisrael, if you do what you're supposed to do, and you keep the mitzvot, then you're going to be rewarded handsomely. But if you don't keep the mitzvot, you're going to be punished handsomely. That's the covenant. That's the agreement. But what does it say in these psukim here? What does it say in these psukim here? I don't want to go through it again. What it says in these psukim is, it's going to happen. What's going to happen? You're going to be punished. You're going to do the wrong thing. You're going to be punished. You're going to get it. Like the Brit, the covenant is going to be actual, actualized. Actualized? I don't know, lawyers, they must have a word. They say the, the contract will, will actually be enforced. It'll be enforced. The contract will be, become uh, the force. Uh, okay, that's what, that's what it says. The end of that parak, if you look at the last three lines on the sheet, Hakilu Elayat Kol Ziknei Shoftechem Vishotrechem Vadabrabas Leheb. This is Moshe Rabbeinu talking. Et Advarim Ha'elu Va'idabam Et Hashamayim Et Ha'aretz. Pasuk Kavchet. Pasuk Kavtet. Ki Yadati. Moshe Rabbeinu says. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Ki Yadati. Achrei Moti Ki Ashchei Tashchitun. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, oh, I know. I know what's going to happen. How does Moshe Rabbeinu know what's going to happen? How does he know? God just told him what's going to happen. What's going to happen is that B'nai Yisrael are going to be punished. Why are they going to be punished? Because they're going to abrogate, the, they will have abrogated the agreement. The agreement is that they should keep the Torah and the mitzvot. And they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Rashi, interestingly enough, although, you see the Rashi, this didn't happen during the time of, of Yoshua. Rashi sees that as being a problem because it says, Moshe Rabbeinu says about himself, so the whole thing should fall apart right away, but it didn't. It didn't fall apart until Yoshua died. Until Yoshua died. So Rashi has this uh, uh, learning that he has. He says, Mikan, she tal midoshel adam chaviv alav, 
כגופו. שכל זמן יהושע חי, נראה למשה כאילו הוא חי. אוקיי, זה לא משהו לעשות עם הטופק, אבל זה כמו משהו שרש"י אומר, רש"י תיאר לנו, רש"י תיאר לנו. אז יש רמב"ן, הרמב"ן נמצא בפאג' אני לא רוצה לקרוא את זה, אני רוצה לקרוא את זה, אבל אני לא רוצה לקרוא את זה, אבל אני לא רוצה לקרוא את זה. הרמב"ן אומר, ומול השם אלוקיכם את לבבכם, את לבבכם that God will circumcise your heart. What does that mean to circumcise? Circumcise, the way Chazal understood the idea of circumcision was that there was something unnecessary covering up, and you remove it in order to make things better. That's the way it should really be. So in Perek Lamed, in Perek Lamed in Nitzavim it says, that God will circumcise your heart. And what does that mean? It's going to change you. You're going to become a different person. You become a different person. What kind of person are you going to become? You're going to become a person that wants to do the right thing, that doesn't have this conflict of interest that we saw with Hanoch, at the time of Hanoch, at the time when when idolatry was, uh, was created. But we saw, we saw that there was this opportunity, this opportunity that people are going to have to be good people, to, to, to feel right about doing the right thing. That's what the Ramban says. The Ramban says that's what Yimot HaMashiach are. When we talk about the Messianic era, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the time when people want to do the right thing, when people want to be as they should be, when people have resolved the issues of idolatry during the time of the children of Adam and Chava, and they've resolved the problem of dealing with righteous people like the time of Hanok, and they've resolved the fact that when Moshe Rabbeinu died, he left them with this agreement with this agreement that they had to live up to and it was difficult and they were not always successful. And that's why we say, we say the Al-Chaitz on, uh, on, on Yom Kippur, when we say the, all of the Al-Chaitz and Hashanah, Bagan and Gazan, what we're actually doing is just covering all the bases because everybody understands that they've probably done something wrong that they don't remember that they did. So what about that? So if I say everything, I'll hate in the book, if I cover every single Avera that I can imagine, so I've included all the things that I forgot as well. So all of that, according to the Ramban, will disappear because we were going to become the people, we're going to become the people who understand, who want to, who want to do the right thing. He says, that's what Yemot HaMashiach That's what Yemot HaMashiach is about. So, I think that's enough. On Yom Kippur, which is soon, uh, everybody should think about the process of kapara, the, the uh, authenticity that we have to bring to it. We have to bring ourselves somehow, even though we don't always know what it is we have to atone for. We don't always know 
what the meaning of the situation we're in is. Nevertheless, we have to participate. We have to be part of it. We have to join in with it and try our best to make ourselves a little better. Come on,